Welcome everybody to Learn With Lowell. I'm Lowell, obviously. Today we're joined with Zane Willerspoon. For people who have been longtime listeners of the show, this is the second time he's come on. Somehow we didn't scare him off with the first one uh, time. He's a serial entrepreneur, data right expert, uh, also one of the few people who's been on the show who I've worked with. So that's kind of cool. And as a quick summary, he wears shark onesies, he, he codes, he's an entrepreneur, and artist, and moonlights as a DJ. But Zane, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Lowell. It's a pleasure to be back. Excited to uh, be chatting with you, catch up. Yes. So before we were recording, I asked him, like, what's something silly he's been up to? And he told me about a 2,000, 2,000 pound, one ton statue made of marble that he has bought. So I, where do you get a statue for 2,000 pounds <laughs> in New York? Uh, obviously, Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yeah, literally, literally got it on Facebook Marketplace. Um, so for those of you who don't know, something about me is I tend to uh, overcommit to things. I have big ideas and I send it into them. And I, I realize the gravity of my decisions like halfway through delivering on that. But I, I pull through, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have not a large apartment in New York. Actually, it's kind of a small living room. But there's this corner that's kind of empty. I've been thinking it'd be cool to get like an art piece to put there. So I've been in the market, like shopping around for statues for a while. So I've been pricing them out, getting to know the different sizes. Uh, the smart thing to do would have been to put a chair there because we really need more seating. But you know, statues more fun. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so I was on Facebook Marketplace and I saw this beautiful marble statue pop up for only $3,000, which if you know much about large statues, this size is like, it's like a twelve, dollars $15,000 statue. So $3,000 is like such a steal. And then I got more details. Turns out the thing is like seven feet tall and pure marble. Uh, it's this beautiful replica of Bellini's uh, Apollo and Daphne, which is this beautiful story, uh, kind of tragic about uh, Apollo pursuing Daphne, but being hit with different ends of Cupid's arrow. So uh, Apollo really wanted Daphne, but Daphne wanted nothing to do with him. She was disgusted by him. And so she goes to her uh, father, who's like the god of rivers, and he turns her into a tree so she doesn't have to be with him. So in the sculpture, her like hands are becoming leaves and her feet are becoming roots. And it's really gorgeous. And I could not have underestimated how hard this thing was going to be to move <laughs> more. <laughs> There's like a, a series of very foreseeable challenges honestly thinking about getting it into the apartment have you ever had to move something really hard to move lol uh just myself but when i, I moved <laughs> just the uh, i moved from austin texas to where i am outside chicago uh that's i don't think that's doxable information but and i did that i did that all while working full-time and i did it by myself and it was three stories and at a certain point to get everything down I just started chucking things out the window. <laughs> I just like looked around. <laughs> just like, is this breakable if I chuck it out a window? No, so I chucked it out the window. There you or, go. I, or I built like a pulley system and like roped it down. And uh, there was like a little bit of a crowd just watching me for a while. <laughs> yeah, dude, we had a crowd too. Uh, did you have to get like a U-Haul, drive it? I got like a little pod thing. I, I, I don't travel across America anymore. I, I drove through a hurricane once and it killed me. Wow. Glad you survived being killed. <laughs> I meant, I meant like, emo like emotionally. I, I didn't know yeah. it was a hurricane. No one told me. I was driving to Boston from Chicago, and they were like, "Wow, it's really rainy." I guess that's just what the coasts are like. I've never been here before, and so it's I, really, I get in. Really rainy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I get in, 
and uh, people are texting me. Finally, like my phone blows up. I'm like, hey, lol, it's a hurricane. Everyone's like, why are you driving this? Even the hotel staff are like, why are you driving this? It's a hurricane. But yeah, uh, what? how'd you get it into your place? You just like blow out a wall or something? <laughs> Dude, uh, so thankfully it's like, it's six foot nine and just about six foot 10 and the doors are seven foot. So I got that clearance, but that means you cannot fit like wheels underneath it. So I got a U-Haul. I actually first first step was like reach out to professional art movers. The thing cost three thousand dollars. I got quoted six thousand seven hundred fifty dollars to move it one way from rich uh, this rich rich family in New Jersey. I'm pretty sure they're mafia. Hmm. <laughs> All the way uh, to New York. I was like, well, that's not gonna happen. I don't have that kind of statue budget. So I uh, got uh, some guys off Craigslist and a U-Haul, a fifteen foot U-Haul that it could stand up in day of go bundle it up in blankets the movers cancel mm. and so i find another guy and i uber a friend over there and we basically three man one of the <laughs> this thing down onto its side onto a dolly get it into the u-haul strap it in manage to get it back to my apartment and the thing is to get it into my apartment we had to go down these stairs into the back door and we got it out of the u-haul and the three of us like literally could not get this thing right side up it, mm-hmm. it, like it, it, from its side back up right we, we couldn't do it we had to get people off the street we took five strong dudes just to get this thing on its side upright and that's when i realized like i i really fucked up like this there's no way if we get it down these stairs to get it back up <laughs> i became at that point concerned my elevator i don't know if my elevator can lift this thing <laughs> so Dude, we're standing think- at the top of the stairs go ahead no, I was just saying, I think elevators are rated for 2,500 pounds. You might be like right at the limit. Yeah, mine's elevator rated for 2,000. But the thing is, like, mm-hmm. I was asking, how much does it weigh? It, you can't know without mm-hmm. specialized equipment. <laughs> like, there's no, you can't throw a bathroom scale underneath it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, at the top of the stairs, I'm trying to back out. I'm like, we, I just got to leave this on the sidewalk. This is just public art now. Nobody's going to steal it. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but they talk me into it. We get it down the stairs after a full day of moving it, and it sits in my basement while I figure out how we're going to get it up the elevator, I actually reach out to the museum in Rome where the original is. And I ask them how much it weighs. They don't know either, but they do email me back and give me an estimate. They think it's between 700 and 900 kilograms. 900 kilograms is like 1,950 pounds just under the weight limit of the elevator. Mm. So left it in the basement for a week wrapped up in blankets i'd love to show a picture of it it's like uh it looked like there's bodies hidden in the basement mm-hmm. <laughs> for a while it was terrifying looking and it's a very common pathway for people in my building so i'm sure they were terrified uh then six men later a bunch of friends after a concert we get it in the elevator it lifts it we get it out into my apartment we get it where i think it's perfect somebody else is like oh we should tilt it a little bit this way do the tilt, hit it right into the wall, snap off a leg. <laughs> <laughs> you get it all that way. <laughs> yeah, it was. I thought it was perfect where it was. So right now it's currently missing one leg. So we'll glue it back on. It's fine. Honestly, though, my friend that helped that Ubered over to move it when he saw it, he's like, "Oh, it's less damaged than I thought it was going to be." <laughs> yeah, the so, it might look better that way. Does it? Because you know, sometimes art when it's kind of baroque, it looks better. Yeah, exactly. So. uh I can't say I'd recommend buying a 2,000 pound statue <laughs> if you don't have 
like six men to move it. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think I just can't leave now. And I just cross my fingers that it's not going to fall through my floor at this point. <laughs> yeah. I think if you were to leave, you would, I don't know how, where you live works, but you could just say it's a, it's a, to the people who own the building or if you own the building or whatever that uh it comes with it. it's like a like an accent piece <laughs> like you get this you get this beautiful work of art of love yeah you gotta yeah. upsell it you know and art it's, you know, yeah, it's always, a pro. Yeah. yeah whenever i'm on quora reading other people's responses to things there's always like those promoted pieces saying like oh did you see how much oprah made money off of this art piece you know because they're just trying to you know ponzi scheme shit so i don't know to the extent that's actually real but maybe it's uh worth you know, like they depreciate it and then appreciate it a lot and it like saves tax money or something. I don't know if it's real. I just, I know for a fact it's, it's bullshit in the terms of it's being promoted to me. So I, I inherently don't trust it. <laughs> uh, so I think the catch is, you know, the value of the art might be going up, but factor in shipping. That, that was yeah. a big lesson learned. I did. I way underestimated the cost of yeah. getting it up. <laughs> Do, a lot uh, of very foreseeable problems. <laughs> are you going to get like a, a marble desk and like a cat and a swivel chair. So that's a cat. Yes, definitely. Uh, I haven't thinking like we, it's the centerpiece of the room now. So mm. I have a white wall behind it. I'm going to have to like paint an accent wall so it doesn't wash out so much. I'm doing research into museum lighting to get it lit properly. Uh, but I'm, I'm also learning that it's really fun. Just like I can dress it up. I've, mm. Right now, it's wearing hats and sunglasses and stuff that you couldn't do to a museum, to a art piece in a museum. Well, I guess you could do it just once, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like this story represents, you know, if it's a parable, like the, <laughs> the indomitable will of what it takes to do entrepreneurship. I think some people, there's a lot of people who do it for the lifestyle. Like, oh, I want to, like uh, Mark Zuckerberg, when he first started out, was like, I want to be a CEO bitch or something like that. And there's like mm -hmm. a like a sugar high, like when you put sugar into a yeast <laughs> thing or whatever, and then it crashes mm -hmm. and dies. But there is an element of like, you just keep, you just keep clunging away and getting through it, all the different things that happen. And um, it, it feels like this is a, a, like a good like metaphor for how you, you don't quit in business or in the love life for anyone out there. He's, he's not single. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, you have to have a dumb amount of optimism in entrepreneurship because <laughs> the odds are so stacked against you. Uh, I think most successful entrepreneurs had no idea what they're signing themselves up for. Uh, like fine line between bravery and stupidity, kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, there. Uh, there's a a book series called The Expanse, and mm -hmm. the there's a dictator in it that says that if you can. Be right one in ten times, people will think you're smart. If you can be right one in a hundred times, people will follow you. And if you can be right one in a thousand times, if you if you like bet the farm and you only show people like those times that you're right, and it's like one in a thousand, no one thinks it can happen. They'll make you a god. And so like I think like that's what that's what entrepreneurship is. There's so there's not there's nine hundred ninety nine that failed the survivorship bias of it, but the one Zuckerberg that makes it, people are like oh my god, you're so great, you're such a genius. Like I don't know, is he? There's probably a bunch of more gifted people. It's just like the right combination of everything coming together like the, the classic uh xkcd survivorship bias comic is like it wasn't until i bought my thousandth lottery ticket that it really paid <laughs> off you know like there's some <laughs> yeah. kind of thing but uh, i i think with uh your recent one was it your first uh acquire or have they all been in yeah, that story? uh the first startup was kind of sold for scrap so not even really an acquisition it was kind of just like liquidation more so 
the, the lines and how people define acquisition versus liquidation versus acquire is always just kind of like made up what best fits your narrative, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> um, but this one, uh, Fathom Privacy was acquired. <laughs> That's my narrative this time. <laughs> well, uh, but it actually a, was, though. It's a bit of both, too, as well. Like, you, you, can, uh, you can dual wield it. Uh, where it's an acquire because I think you work with the people who acquired you and they gave you money. So you get a little bit of both. Yeah, and they acquired not just the team, but they acquired the tech and the business along with it, which is super awesome that I still get to be working on the same product that we were working on, but now with a lot more support support and runway and yeah. a really awesome team. So I've been super stoked about it. Yeah, I, when I talk to people who have... Uh, when it goes from like building your own thing to being on a team, I tell people it sounds like a vacation because there's so many different things that you don't have to worry about now. You don't have to worry about tax filing. <laughs> Did you do the wrong thing? And now there's a bill for $50,000 for the wrong thing. You had to spend like an afternoon figuring that out. I had that happen to me. I was like, I was like heart palpitations. Like, why is there a bill for $50,000 randomly? And it, it turned out like I filed the wrong thing. But there's like so many different <laughs> things that, that you get to just relax and, and check out at the end of the day that you don't have to do yeah. now. So you get both yeah, now. Yeah. You've like lived it all going from all the hats to just one hat it, it feeling like a vacation is a good way to put it yeah it's, uh, also i feel very very fortunate about the timing because mm. right now is a tough time to be a tech entrepreneur thank you <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's stuff out there <laughs> that's where i'm at right now so, so, so yeah it's, it's it's it can be rough but uh the, I, honestly i'm so glad we started with the statue as the story because it feels like a metaphor for you because now it has a hat it has one <laughs> and you're wearing one hat. <laughs> so, like we didn't plan this like this is really working out in terms of like a, a walking metaphor um ho hopefully there's nothing where you're the tree ignoring the man or you're the man being ignored by the I'm tree Maybe, maybe would you rather be ignored or pursuing something that is ignoring me? Uh, would you rather be pursued by something you don't want or uh, pursuing something that doesn't want you? Probably pursuing something that doesn't want me because I can enjoy that a little bit. If I'm being hunted by a stalker that feels bad, my joke answer because i have a i have a problem with wherever people <laughs> give me whenever people give me a and b i find the c option i i was gonna say i want to be the hat because then i can just you know, <laughs> i can just enjoy He's myself <laughs> yeah i can just enjoy myself and see the like the the slapstick comedy but uh my, my, my wife hates that because she'll ask me like a series of questions and i'll i'll pick the one that threads through and like destroys the whole thing and she's like well just answer that simple question uh mm -hmm. but so so i try not to when i'm uh, on the show at, at the very least but uh what about you I think about this a lot uh, because I think it applies, honestly, for me, mostly in romantic relationships. I very rarely feel like there's a total balance of interest. Um, same thing is true in all relationships, but I think I feel it more in romantic ones. I've been on sides where I've been more interested in them and I've been on the side where they're more interested in me. And I think you're at a bit more risk of heartbreak when you're the one more interested in them. But it also comes with like a lot higher highs and a lot lower lows. And so I think there's, I, I've been trying to find the fun and the beauty in both of them. And uh, also communicate and know it's not always the whole relationship. It can go day to day, even swinging back and forth. Yeah. So I, I think I'm a little bit more into being like the passionate one that's like, fuck yeah, let's do this. Mm -hmm. 
At least right now, I am. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's a it's a false dichotomy. I think that there, uh, there there's like it's more like a spectrum. I think. I, I imagine it's not like with you and any love you have going on in your life. It's you know entirely one way. Hopefully, not unrequited. Uh, in no, any way, that's not quite as dramatic as my girlfriend's not trying to turn into a tree, so she doesn't have to be with me. <laughs> Which is a nice rhyme, mm, but uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, segueing back to to Phantom, how does Fathom? Uh, how does uh, mm. an acquisition actually work? From someone who's done it, lived it, and I would say this last one would be by most people's uh, metrics a successful one. What does it actually look like? Yeah, I'd say so. In our case we had a customer, somebody who is using our tech. Uh, for people who don't know, Fathom Privacy was a tech startup that was helping people enforce their data right to data portability. So clawing your data out of the hands of Facebook and Google and Amazon using this new data legislation that's come out in Europe and California, building out data pipelines through what's called data subject access requests. So you get the data into your hands, but then what? Like who cares? Mm -hmm. Now I have my data, so what? So we were working with businesses that actually have uses for that data. Mostly it was a lot of sales tools focusing on like your relationship data. So you know who you're connected to, who might be changing jobs, good opportunities, good times to reach out. So you can stay better connected to your network, personal CRMs. But there was this one company, Delphia, that was totally different. They we're actually a hedge fund where people contribute not just money, but also data, and they can use that to train their model. So they make more money and everybody shares in some of the revenue mm. is the core idea behind it. So that's a really interesting like data to dollars kind of system. And it fits all the cool properties of data, like the more of it you have, the more valuable it becomes. And it was always essentially like the most interesting use case for our data. And they approached us saying, we really like you guys. We would like to have you working with us full time and to acquire you. We held off for a little bit while we explored the full potential of our market. And one of the things we realized though, working in consumer data, it all comes back to advertising. Like we were fine with sales and B2B and relationship, but like if we really wanted to scale up to be like billion dollar business at this point, we would have had to go pretty anti-privacy mm. and the privacy preserving properties. Well, that was fun. Uh, of Delphia were really cool for us. So eventually we came back and we said, yeah, we think this is our best path forward. Let's work together. So we talked through some terms and, uh, Deal took a little while to close. There's a lot of due diligence. That was a little bit painful. Uh, at a certain point, I almost tried to back out because I was having such a hard time dealing with the lawyers and the expectations and all this stuff. But uh, thankfully, my co-founder and brother helped pull it over the finish line. And now I've been super happy. The deal closed early October, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. And, and enough to get you a uh, statue, but not enough to pay for the transportation. So that should tell everyone, you know, <laughs> how well Ballpark, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what, uh, can you, can you talk more about like the painful aspects? Like what, if you were doing it again, or if someone was going through a similar situation, like what, what was the painful thing for you? And then what'd you learn from it? Uh, the, their lawyers at the time, I think were dragging it out 
mm-hmm. thankfully partial part of the way through the acquisition process, they hired uh, in-house general counsel instead of using an outsourced firm and a uh, lawyer who had experience in M&A who really helped move things along. But what our lawyer was telling us was that they structured it like it was a really, really big acquisition with like all the due diligence and all the risk assessment and all the government certifications and documents when like really it didn't need to be quite that serious and quite that big. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were essentially five people at the time. So it's not like it was a massive merger and acquisition between multinational billion dollar companies, which is basically the way they set it up. Mm. So there's one point in particular where <laughs> they said disclosures and it says, um, please disclose anytime, anywhere you break social media terms and conditions. They asked us for this and we say, well, yeah, automation on most social media platforms is forbidden. So we kind of, by the nature of what we do, break every social media terms and conditions. They sent it back, just struck through no comments. It was the legal equivalent of like sticking their fingers in their ears and going, la, 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 la. <laughs> like, bro, you asked us. Like, why, why ask us if you're not going to like listen to our answer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, the way the deal is structured is, is important. Yeah. It, it, it seems that so there's like two themes I, I, I see at work here. One, I do think the statue's name was Delfino, right? The statue? Yeah. Delfino? Apollo and Daphne. Daphne, and you work at a place called Del, Delfina. Del, Delphia, yeah. I just, it feels like close enough for like the Matrix to screw with you. But um, <laughs> the, other, <laughs> the other thing is like definitely the devil in the details. We've been on a couple of uh, themes, things where. The structure of things dictated how things would go and it does, it does sound it, it sounds seems like a little bit like maybe the lawyers were like milking that company the company you work at now for as much as they could they weren't very not, i don't know ethical but like they're they definitely like getting those billable hours as much as they could and dragging it that was the vibe i was getting by the end of it so thankfully they got the in-house counsel to step in and things moved faster from there we're good yeah. now <laughs> what's it what's it like going from your own thing to now you're in-house do they treat you differently as a former CEO? Do you get like a cookie? <laughs> get a cookies on Fridays, yeah. Get a hat. Get, you get, you get uh, special get cookies and no one else gets cookies, <laughs> so you know they're special. Um, it's a little bit uh, jarring being in the middle of an organization. is kind of interesting. I've really only ever been at the bottom or the top. And so that was a little bit of an adjustment period. It's like how to affect a team from the middle. But I, they're such a great team. They're Canadian and they're all just so nice. It's got mm. some of the best work culture I've ever had in my life. Really, really happy to be working with them. Grateful for the opportunity to be able to team up on this. I feel, I feel like my uh, views and opinions are respected and appreciated. So yeah, overall, I'd say very successful, very happy there. Um, they do give us cookies occasionally. <laughs> well, that's nice. You you yeah. wouldn't get that in a startup until you're much higher valued. Then then you can start <laughs> giving people food uh, to as incentives, which is where insurance came from. Insurance originally was just an incentive to add to employees because they couldn't raise their pay during World War II, so they gave them insurance and other perks so they would choose one over the other. Uh, now you offer Ooh. cookies. That that's kind of the same thing. Insurance, not being bankrupt, 
cookies. They're all they're all incentive structures. But uh, no, when, pods. <laughs> there you go. I would like to check out. I went to uh, Google Campus. I was going to tour with one of the directors, and I had to play in all their ball pits and stuff. Uh, it, it it is actually quite nice. Uh, they they were also like, if your boss walked in and saw you like this, like there's an element of like you needed to get work done at a certain point. But so the lawyers were dragging it off, dragging it out, and that's frustrating. What? You couldn't do anything. I don't think there's anything that you could have really done other than just persevere or walk away. Like it just, you, it seems like there was a bit of luck in terms of them changing out that in-house counsel. You could have like tried leveling it up to the the person who's, who wanted to bring you in and seeing if they could do something about it. But um, I don't know what you could I have did. done. Like they're oh. not a lawyer, so I, yeah. yeah, I brought it up with uh, the other company, and they said our lawyers tell us that this is the right way to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, my lawyers saying that your lawyers are lying. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, it wasn't until we brought in another that we were able to get things settled. Mm. So yeah, did, honestly, a little bit of luck. Okay, I was gonna say, like, did you did you say like, hey, if you if you consult another lawyer and and I'm wrong, I'll pay for it or something like you know to like trip them over the 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 that line to try it. I'm trying to remember. There was a certain point where um, it was just hoop after hoop after hoop. They were having us jump through. And I got tired. I was burnt out. Mm. And that's when I, I wasn't even bluffing. I was, I, I had a call with them. I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like I'm out. <laughs> and that's when they reached out to my brother and co-founder and they kept things going and they managed to loop me back, root me back in. Mm. Um, and a lot of the hoops stopped at that point. So it wasn't, I wasn't ever trying to like play a game, yeah. but I was, it was too much at a certain point. <laughs> I was ready to walk away, yeah. which and did get things moving forward. It sounds like if it would have continued, you wouldn't have been able to continue. Like your your ability to continue the startup would have been severely degraded. It's so like the the lawyers were almost scorched earth in you in a pyrrhic victory. So that if you didn't go with them, you were dead in the water, and maybe they could just like eat up your IP when you were dead. Uh, like it, it, I wonder if like there was any layer of strategy on their part and deliberately grinding you down, uh, or it was just benign neglect. It seems like probably benign neglect with a bit of greed that thrown in there for yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it doesn't seem like they had anything against us. They were just pro yeah. money, <laughs> yeah. like wanting their pro billing hours. Yeah, yeah. There, there are people that are very, uh, I don't know, astute or very focused on just making money in life. And you can kind of tell when the first like five, ten minutes of meeting them, like where they they fly, because you can you can kind of tell. I met this one person who works at Lux Capital, and uh, he may or may not be one of the founders but anyway so the first time i met him i could tell he was is that like too much of a doxing statement but the, uh, i could tell that they were is there only one <laughs> i feel like there's like five <laughs> but anyways uh he or she uh they, they were very nice like very on point but there was an element of like they were like i like get on with it you know all these different things and i could like i almost felt like i was mentally watching them uh like count the time but so you have this extra time and from mm -hmm. the acquisition acquisition you're burnt out and normal people to take a vacation normal people they don't buy a statue normal people <laughs> <laughs> normal people you know it's okay to be abnormal that's a beautiful thing you start a foundation at, at one was once uh zayna palooza which i don't know if i've ever been invited to i'm not gonna take it personally if i wasn't uh it's not gonna be <laughs> You've for sure been invited <laughs> <laughs> yeah new york just scares me the you, you'll be the reason i go to new york and i'll, I'll never leave and my wife will beat me up but so uh -huh. and now it's now it's gonna be a nonprofit thing you do to uh well actually I, i'll let you describe it you probably have thought about this more what talk about that melding because i think i think that's another thing that entrepreneurs or people who like to solve problems is you, you don't stop 
like there's like an excess energy and you like putting it somewhere i think that's a it's a it's an inspiring thing because there's people out there that have that extra energy but they don't know where to put it so you found it translating something you did personally into something professionally that could help out a lot of people so why why the the change and and what's the end goal there after six months of just having a normal day job the itch came back I'm like, all right, this, I was burnt out six months of recovery time. Now it's like, I got to do something really uh, creative again. And I, every year for the past seven, this can be our seventh year, been doing these big events. Started out as birthday parties for me, music festival themed birthday called Palooza that just kept escalating and escalating. The biggest one we did was about a thousand people in San Francisco. Uh, two-story venue, parked a big Burning Man art car out front, pulled permits with the city to block off the street, the whole big deal. Uh, moved him out to New York a few years ago. And uh, you mentioned at the beginning of this that I wear a shark onesie when I volunteer with charity to teach kids to code. I've got a good friend, uh, Justin Brezhnev, out in LA who runs Hacker Fund, a fiscal charity that, where we teach kids to code and helps organize hackathons. And he also does consulting for charities to get off the ground. So called him up and I was like, wait a second, are these community events that we do that are promoting art, creativity, inclusivity, like is this, would this qualify to be a public good nonprofit? And he said, absolutely, let me tell you how. So filed the paperwork and got the Palooza Foundation for the Arts up and running 501c3 status came in the mail uh like a month ago month and a half ago and we've got a two-sided mission we are one helping people in the community in new york here find better mental health and less loneliness specifically through creativity community and inclusivity Uh, the creative side is we focus on things that are artsy Uh, I'll get into that more in a second. The uh, community, we actually have been doing events called Wine Wednesdays all through last summer that are really fun. And we've built this really cool open invite summertime community in New York. Whenever people say, well, how do you guys know each other? And they say, Wine Wednesdays, my heart just melts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, inclusivity, everything we do is very explicitly open invite. On the flip side, we're helping artists to find opportunity where they wouldn't have it before. I think we want to be able to help creatives pursue the things they want to pursue and be less restricted by finances like a lot of them are today. That makes sense. How much, I look forward to reading your taxes at the end of the year. I, every nonprofit that comes on the show, I don't know if you, sometimes I say this, sometimes I don't. Every single one, I, I dig through every single one of their tax returns for having them on. So I look forward to seeing uh, how you structure it uh, in, in yeah. a non-threatening way, of course. But the, what, <laughs> how much money do you need to raise to do the type of good that you want to do? Like, is there an amount that you've calculated out and like, what good is that? There is a very clear line for those of you who are interested in starting a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, $50,000 is an important number because if you have income, either donations or sales or anything, as a nonprofit, more than $50,000, you have to file different paperwork with the IRS than if it's under $50,000. Mm-hmm. 
that is substantially more work. Mm. Uh, it is like almost at that point above 50,000, you almost kind of need like a full-time person to manage that. Not necessarily totally full-time, but nearly. So for now, we're keeping under the $50,000 mark, which is also a weird kind of relief coming from the startup world where like you're trying to get to a billion dollars as quickly as possible. Here, it's like, no, we want to kind of stay under 50,000 for a while while we get our system set up, mm -hmm. uh, which is really relaxing, lowers the pressure a lot. So that's the, that's the goal. 50,000 a year is what we're shooting for for the next few years. Uh, and that is a combination of donations and sales, in particular ticket sales to the events that we're putting on. If, if it's like two thirds through the year and you have a bunch more events and you've hit the $50,000 amount, do, do you just make them all free or something? Like how do you uh, keep yourself under it artificially? Like That's you might be question. a victim of your own success. <laughs> yeah, I guess we gotta lower, we gotta make them free or I guess we have to make them free. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's going to be a problem right now. We're, we've got some financial projections. Uh, that's a good question. We might start looking into if we're really successful, what it would take to actually do that above $50,000 paperwork. Yeah. How much is a ticket on average? We have different tickets for different events. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we do is free. Mm -hmm. uh, the Wine Wednesdays in particular. It's BYOB. Mm -hmm. So very low budget. People host it in their homes and it changes location every week, which is really fun because you get different people from different sides of the city and the host always invites more of their friends that week. So you get this constant like in and out of different friend groups. And the this year's big flagship event is called Once Upon a Palooza. It's a fairy tale themed immersive theater experience that is actually getting to be really crazy. We got like damn near 30 people on the cast and crew at this point <laughs> putting it on. Mm -hmm. uh, tickets right now are $32 and I think they'll be going up to around 45 the day of the event because it takes yeah. a lot to put this one on. <laughs> Yeah, so if, if it's as big as it was in San Francisco, you have like one event and you're like you're like pushing on that line. Yeah. So the goal for this year is selling 350 tickets. Uh hopefully bringing in eleven K in revenue mm -hmm. for the event. Uh, these events tend to not be break even. Hopefully it is, but you know, if it's not, that's okay. It's charitable for a good cause. And uh, this year in particular, we're also doing it in support of the WGA writer's strike, given how hot of a topic AI is and how it's impacting creatives' financial uh, situation, specifically writers, and the whole strike to ban AI in the writer's room or using it as source material is kind of a really fascinating subject. Mm -hmm. How do you support the writers? What, what, how would uh, the the money go to helping them or just where is the awareness of it yeah this event is a theatrical event i'll give you a little, little sneak peek of the premise but like essentially the you know fairy tale themed the main conflict is the fairy tale characters going on strike because the king in the castle is trying to replace them with the magic mirror gpt 
<laughs> so uh we've got the uh, wizards guild of afar who's gonna come in and <laughs> save the day the wga mm. <laughs> and so the real goal here there's a phrase that gets used sometimes solidarity over charity it's like charity money dries up especially since so much of it comes from corporate sponsors. And if they find out that you're supporting a cause that they don't believe in, all of a sudden that money goes poof. But if we can change hearts and minds to be a little bit more class conscious about the fact that, you know, this is happening to writers right now, but uh, artists are also facing the same thing. And almost every job is facing automation. So what are we going to do? And even uh, the collective bargaining, like the union movements that are happening with railroad workers and Starbucks employees, Amazon warehouses, like we're all kind of in the same situation here. So it's yeah. easy to look at the writer's strike and be like, oh, that sucks for them. But like, really, we're all kind of at the same whim. And that's the cool part of the immersive side of things is like you're in the audience. We're going to get people like picketing along with the fairy tale characters. Like you will feel like you're part of the. Uh, subjugated there which is a fun medium to explore mm -hmm. well if the if the ai ever gets sentient i think they'll they may or may you know they might target that as like a like a uh what are they called sons of anarchy or whatever not sons of anarchy the the group the boston tea party people you know they all met like and then, then uh, they started like throwing tea in the the harbor it could be like one of those things from the ai's point of view like they're england so like you guys are meeting up and then you might throw some of their tea in the, in the water which i guess in your case would you recommend that um it's a matter of regulation i think they should like ai should just get its own category but i don't think i think ai uh chat gpt and whatnot it's gonna get to the point where you can't discern it from a normal person so then how do you authenticate if there's just a person who's like working 40 hours a week to do something versus a computer that just brute forced something in like 30 seconds that sounds like a Scorsese film or whatever. Yeah. Have you played around with, I'm sure you have like chat GPT and all that. Yes. It's, it's cool and mm -hmm. crazy and a little bit scary right now. The Palooza foundation for the arts position on it is these tools are unstoppable. Technologies can keep moving forward. Yeah. We don't think banning it is the right move. Uh, what we need is more financial representation as tools increase productivity. We've seen, honestly, since like the Reagan era, yeah. uh, American GDP increase while salaries have like not increased. <laughs> and that disconnect is widening, getting worse. And as we should be becoming more efficient, we need better representation in the financial outcomes of these tools. So, yeah, hence the union striking for more royalties. Yeah, the the interesting thing there when you look at the chart is the 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 swivel where the efficiency and money goes up and unions start going down. Like Reagan just beat the crap out of the I think the airline traffic controllers like he, he was very anti-union um but the unions unions are the reason why we don't work like 20 hour like 20 days a week somehow and have kids <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. working <laughs> kids working in uh factories but there's people now that are trying to get to like oh you don't want to get paid minimum wage well, we're gonna we're gonna find high schoolers to work all night and stuff it's like uh, how is this the future how is that the future you want to get i don't know but i'm a i'm a fan of unions because of that like even the yeah. um, 
you don't even necessarily be, need to be in a union to benefit from a union and what they do. Mm-hmm. So uh, you benefit a lot more when you're in a union, definitely. But like mm-hmm. the teachers, for instance, they they're uh, they're getting smacked all over the place. You have the railroad strikers that did like four years of work. And I think Biden was like, oh, I don't want anything to happen over Christmas <laughs> or something. Yeah, and, that was wild uh, to me, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are bad elements of union. I have a, I had a person on who was, who's in um, a correction officer union uh, in Rikers Island. If you go to jail, I'll, I'll hook you up so maybe you can help you out. But uh, he, um, he somehow <laughs> like... What was that little, little slight remark if I go to Rikers? <laughs> I'm just saying... Just, just I, drop that in casually. <laughs> you know, if, you're, if your statue falls through the floor and hits someone, they're probably... You know, Actually, yeah. That's, I, I, just, <laughs> I want you to know, there's a, there's a little bit of... There's like a little bit... I could like I could put a nice word is all I'm saying. He's, he's not willing for, to corruption. I've talked to him about this. Like there's no dollar amount, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But uh, the stimulus checks apparently had a huge effect on the economies in prison. But anywho, the the things yeah. that you can get with a union versus off a union, if you look at like in Germany, for instance, you start and you get like 30 days paid vacation. Uh, maternity leave is entirely different. Uh, in America, like I was I was recently talking to a lady who um, women's when they have like uh, menstrual problems, it, it takes a lot of work to find a doctor who will help them. And that's how many days to find a doctor they have to take off work every single time and then the work's starting to think you're flaky and whatnot and um all you're trying to do is just be able to go into work and so yeah i think since the 70s it's been a downhill trend on these things and i know a, a lot of people i know a, lot, a number of entrepreneurs who say they're very anti-union they think they're anti, like an anti-capitalist thing it's like, i don't know it seems it seems like it's a it's an element of capitalism a bunch of people would band together in a corporation to represent their value that seems very capitalistic I mean, yes, it is. I agree. And uh, minimum wage is also kind of a union. It's like an agreement as a society that this is what labor is worth. It's collective bargaining through representatives in Congress, particularly in America. I was just in Austria, in Vienna, and I learned that they have no minimum wage and they have a fantastic middle class. Almost everybody in Austria is mm. middle class very, very low uh, poverty rate. And I looked into it. It's because they're like 90% of the workforce is unionized. It's crazy. They're just able to collectively bargain their way to a middle class, to a strong middle class. It's like so obvious once you start to look at some of the case studies out there and some of the examples. And it doesn't feel... I mean, right now it feels more relevant than ever because like, especially most recently when... uh, we got the no increase to minimum wage more recent yeah. that was a, like a year or two ago. Yeah. But that's why I think the immersive theater aspect of it is so fun. We can actually like show people a little bit like what it's like to be on a team uh, up against the employers, the castle. <laughs> yeah. Well, people are very, so I'm, I'm working on getting people from the train unions and the ones that are trying to make unions, uh, at places like Starbucks and uh, Dunkin', et cetera. And one of their biggest concerns is they don't want to speak out because they, they think they're going to lose their job. And so I'm working on a system where I can like Facebook whistleblower them so they look like an amorphous blob and they can just talk about what they went through. And I'm going to call it, you know, a day in the life of a Starbucks uh, union striker. You know, I, I'm working on the title. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I want to find a way to give uh, people voices because there's there are people who feel silenced because they don't want to get canceled, even if it's just by their employer and then they can't take care of their... Their, their families and whatnot and that's a huge 
I, I don't I feel like people don't understand like there's a big power dynamic difference when you have all the chips and you can at a certain point say I can replace you go go by your day and you know how hard will you push if that's how you're treated for things that are just basic like I, th- I think the biggest thing that bothers me about a lot of these things is people are fighting now tooth and nail for something and they're acting like it's this big ask like the people are anti-union like the corporations etc like it's a big ask but the these are like small potato things like i i looked at like the stuff at amazon for instance and it's like they weren't even asking they're not even asking for the moon they're asking for like a, a yard like bathroom breaks <laughs> yeah, <they're> like, <laughs> asking I, for a bigger bottle to be in I think like Amazon, for instance, is like particularly egregious because there were a couple of cases where there was a tornado going towards the factory. They said, you leave the factory, you're fired. And you're, you're like, we're going to tank you. It's like, the fuck? How can? And the, but the, the emergency management system said you have to go home. So how is it a corporation over override the government? It's like a weird, you know, thing. I think America was kind of founded to benefit corporations. I think that's a common obvious thing. And over time, we've been more and more worker focused, like more and more per, per people focused. And then like the seventies happened. And I feel like we've been in like a weird little limbo. And now we're starting to have unions and all these things happen again. And chat GPT is just there to accentuate it. And sometimes I wonder, is it like, are, are the ladder rungs going to be pulled up? And like, there's going to be people that it basically have walls around all the things they own. And then everyone else just has like, um, like, Japanese hotel room boxes for themselves and like uh, AI automated life where they can't really do anything. We can legislate our way out of that future, I think. Yeah. There's like the last significant uh, monopoly that was broken up was uh, the yes, right. AT&T Bell in the 80s, okay. I think. It was uh, made the baby bells. That's, that's where AT&T and a few others came out of. And most of those telecom companies have merged back up again. So yeah. like, we haven't had uh, a breakup of power in a long time. I, I pretty strongly believe personally that Amazon is an egregious example. There's no reason that the money they make selling server space mm-hmm. to tech startups should be used to subsidize their ability to drive diaper companies out of business. <laughs> like, those two things have nothing to do with each other. They're both totally sufficiently fine standalone businesses. The idea that there's like the company store in a lot of ways at this point is a particularly egregious example to me. I know there's a lot to talk about Facebook breaking up like Instagram versus WhatsApp versus Facebook meta, all that jazz. Those are still like closely enough related that I get it. But mm-hmm. like Amazon, like they're, they're doing too much, man. Like, that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No, I agree with you. I think it's also one of those things where I, I talk to people about how their servers are like 90% of their profit and then everything else is just being subsidized and being taken. Like Brandon Sanderson, one of my favorite authors and his books over there, uh, Way of Kings, mm-hmm. he, he, he has a, a he pol- politically says, I have a conflict, uh, complicated relationship with Amazon because he doesn't like how audiobooks, ebooks, all these content creator type stuff when it's on amazon amazon sets the terms even if you're really successful in all these different things like they make it really hard for you to be successful and they constantly change it and they can keep reducing and reducing and reducing uh what a, a person can get from their own stuff and all they're doing is hosting it like you're not really do like amazon's not really doing that much in reality they just have the biggest marketplace they have the biggest mall in the world that we, we can see anything at a, at a click of a glance um how would you break it up would you break it up I hear your point. It's basically like coal towns when like there was one company town 
Mm-hmm. At just, least it's... separating the AWS from the retail side of things is to me the obvious win. Honestly, even probably their uh, logistics and shipping, now that they've got such a fleet of vehicles, I think that is operable as its own business unit too. And the thing is, it's also the way that Amazon structures itself internally. They've got these different mm. business units that each have their own profits and losses. Like my understanding is Amazon retail is a customer of AWS internally. Like they have to pay for server space. Uh, so it would That's already be easy too. Like <laughs> There's just no um, political drive to do it. So talking about all these like complicated financial union valuing labor things, how do we make people interested and aware? And can we make it fun? So mm-hmm. uh, July 14th, for anybody who's in New York, and this is a very strong call to action here. Yes. Uh, would love for anybody in the New York area come through, even if you're not, it's worth the trip to come out. It's going to be so much fun. We've got a ball pit. We've got immersive theater elements. Princess has gone wild. We're going to have Magic Mirror and Shrek getting into like a roast battle. Uh, they might wrestle too. We're still working out some of the details. <laughs> it's like uh, slaying the dragon, um, beheading the king <laughs> to a like drag style lip sync with confetti and inflatable heads flying out into the audience. It's like, it, it's it's going to be a really, really good time. We've got a, it's crazy, honestly, how many starting a nonprofit people have come out of the woodworks to volunteer and help out. We've got a director, we've got producers, We've got stage crew and PAs. We've got something like 10, no, we got like 12, 13, 14, 15 actors and actresses, writers. Uh, it's really cool. A lot of hard work is going into this. It's going to be so much fun. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, and not in a way to get you like legally culpable, but like hypothetically, do you like drop acid and think of these things? Like, cause it's so creative. Like, is it just a, is it, is it, is it, is it is it an induced ability or is it just you work on the muscle? I guess will be my like not getting you arrested question. No, I mean, I, uh, I hope I can hang out with Alice in Wonderland and <laughs> you get some inspiration from the white rabbits that are running around <laughs> okay. at the event. But, uh, but no, honestly, it's just like a lot of creative mm-hmm. brain power. One of the things that I've been doing recently, uh, I kind of basically ended up accidentally executive producing a theatrical show in new york and one of the big roles that i've had is recruiting it's like i know lots of artists and we've got lots of ideas everybody just if we can just get them together and have ideas together then that almost sort of becomes greater than the sum of its parts you know mm-hmm. one act and one performance combined with so many others we can stitch them together in a cohesive way eventually kind of turning it into a variety show yeah it's uh it's fun and you know last year the theme was cosmic rodeo so we had a sheriff running around arresting people throwing them in the jail cell we had a mechanical bull and i don't think we could top the mechanical bull to be totally honest so this year going with the fairy tale themes a lot more narrative driven so it's going to be different it's not as comparable people aren't going to say like this year's like last year but bigger Mm -hmm. they're going to say like it's a whole new thing yeah and i I think what would top a mechanical bull is if you had a mechanical bull that was being operated by ChatGPT, or <laughs> <laughs> or if you had really strong enough waivers, I can get you a real bull. I can get you a two ton animal. <laughs> you just Brother you just say you. the word. You just say the word. I'll I'll hop on its back and I'll just slowly start making my way over. 
<laughs> and by that I, time, you know, I'll make it. I so thought about bringing in live animals to this event. That would have been so fun, no. but just not nice to the animals. It's, it's no. going to be loud space. They're not going to have a good time there. You just put <laughs> uh, no earmuffs on them. You just put earmuffs. earmuffs you just on put the, horse. You know, no, you just put a, uh, you know, like they have blinders for the eyes. I'm sure they have like something to plug up their ears. Yeah, you could, you could, you can make it ethical. Is what I'm saying. If you, if, if there's a will or if there's a, if there's a will to get the statue up the stairs, I think you could find a way to make it healthy for uh, animals. I think it's dangerous in the sense that, you know, people if they're having a good time might like poke a horse or an animal in, in the wrong way and get like, you know, kicked in the head and then die. Get hurt. Yeah, it would have to be something small enough it couldn't hurt the attendees, and then we have to make it safe enough for the animal. Maybe like a, a sheep. And just like put a put a horn on its head, make it like oh, a unicorn. unicorn, little tiny unicorn running around, or that a unisheep, adorable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unisheep. Uh, it sounds uh, sounds great. The do you, so one thing that I look at when I see nonprofits in a specific area is how they how they work together. Like there's a there's a town nearby, and there's like there's four nonprofits that make events doing different things, but then they all specialize in a different aspect of the event. Like one's really good at logistics, like do the buses and what have you. One's really good at doing the e-commerce website app building. So they handle that aspect. So independently they'll do their own things, but when they work together, they all just kind of like relax the full hats and they'll just like trade them around. How do you see mm -hmm. this special, either specializing or working with other uh, nonprofits and people in the community to build out something really unique? In the short term, there's a couple nonprofits we're already working with. A uh, big one is the Theater Development Fund, is a really big one in New York. They have uh, costume, I can't remember, costume collaboration, some costume, something like that. Anyway, all these old Broadway shows that finish their runs, they'll donate their costumes. And so other shows that are nonprofits can rent them for much more affordable mm -hmm. rates. So we're working with the Theater Development Fund on the creative side. And then on the community side, there's another group that we're hoping to reach out to, No More Lonely Friends, that is community in New York. has a lot of the same mental health mission that we do around community and inclusivity. So helping get people in the door. One of the things that I've seen that feels like a need, and I'm still kind of learning about this space, but a little bit longer term, is for live events, there's no thing like IMDb. There's no nothing to say like you've got credits as a writer at this event that happened that ran for this long. So I think it seems to just be like a tech vacuum. There's like just not enough support for that kind of tech product. Legally, I believe if you're on Broadway or in certain theaters that are unionized, those credits go through the union. But uh, my understanding is like the unions are also very not transparent about those credits. They don't post them anywhere. So yes. anybody who's doing anything off Broadway or local or honestly like not in New York or LA is kind of just left to like put it on their own resume. So I would be really interested in taking our team's technical capabilities and seeing if we can use that to amplify the mission of giving artists more opportunity. If there was like a LinkedIn for actors and writers and producers like that i think there is that stage 32 i think it's called stage or i'm on it uh because i'm a nerd i think it's called stage 32 it i don't think it entirely is what you're saying i think yours is like imdb meets it's not stage 32 stage something stage uh this is this is i'm gonna have to cut this out the stage I swear it's stage 32 this is gonna bother me i get emails from there's a thing the time. called stage 32 here 
it's like, it's like a website where you can find jobs, see other people. It's like it's like Facebook. It's like LinkedIn for artist actor. Yeah, Stage Thirty Two. Like, What's wrong with me? Do you get like a public facing profile? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm on this. Here, I'll uh, I'll log in just so I can be more knowledgeable. Oh, whatever. I forgot my password. All right. So, anyways, it exists. <laughs> Something like that exists, but I don't think. So there's a place for jobs, there's a place for learning, there's a place for seeing other people who are doing things. And so, like, in the LinkedIn aspect, they have that, but they don't have the whole pie of what you're saying in terms of merging a social network with a credit system, So, which is a bit blockchain of you to find some way to build an authentication <laughs> and proof system uh, so people can get credit for their work. But uh, no, I don't, I don't think there's anything like that. So that would be interesting in conjunction with your, I think one thing you're very good at is like building experiences and making things that are, are very unique. Well, I haven't been to your parts. I've seen like videos of them and I think, well, that'd be a lot of fun if I, I didn't have social anxiety <laughs> for 12 million people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'll, I'll steal a line from our CEO at Delphia, Andrew, who says like, we've got a certain trick, which is just being really excited about something and getting other people excited about it too. <laughs> and, and that is fun. It's fun to just like rally people. Honestly, the team building side of startups is one of my favorite phases too. It's like you got a little bit Damn. of traction. You're like, all right, now who's going to be part of this in the early days? Uh, it feels like assembling the Avengers. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think events are a great opportunity for that because they kind of go up and down so fast. There's a lot more of those assembling the team steps yeah, I, I agree. Like that's that's one of my favorite parts of building my own thing is that you can create the you can create the sandbox for people to be really successful. And since you've been to so many different places, you have a you have a, a feeling for how to do that well. Where other people, like for instance, you, uh, trades, like uh, more people want to get into trades, like people like electricians, etc., are paying out the nose like twenty thousand dollars in advertisement to get one person to go in. And uh, the problem they're having is that when people go in, the some of the older people who are trained in the 70s have not trained anyone since the 70s so they just yell at you call you stupid for like an hour every time you Jeez. have a question so imagine every time you had a question during an apprenticeship phase for learning okay like you know kind of obvious you're gonna ask questions you just berated for an hour you're not gonna keep doing that so they're gonna keep having their problem and so uh Yikes. yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, I, creating these type of communities is probably pretty good yeah i think Honestly, trades in particular is really interesting to me. I think that we should adopt a more similar model to a lot of other industries. Uh, but community and bringing people together is yeah. something that's just fun for me. And throwing events, uh, my aunt is actually, she has like a big events business that I never yeah. really helped out with. And I kind of forgot about when I started throwing events. It wasn't until like years later, I was like, wait a second, is it, is it genetic? that like mm -hmm. we, we all just throw events in the family like what's going yeah. on here well i mean your your aunt uh is an actor too right reese she wrote a book oh, reese witherspoon different different, different. Reese? he's a cousin yeah and, uh, yeah 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 very very distant you, you said you were gonna, card in a long when time. i when i when i was when we both were single I, you know you said you were gonna connect me with her and, and you know i never never went through but it all worked out i'm not i'm not sad at the missed opportunity to meet a nice uh, witherspoon other than yourself but um <laughs> the have you seen succession the tv show I have not. I have a hard time getting into dramas. They don't, mm. they don't like pull me in very well. There's there's a couple events where one of the characters, Ken Kendall, is having an event where it's like you you enter 
the event like through like a uterus and there's like a room where it says like his care like his his room when he was a baby was like a, like a, a 20 foot tall um bassinet and then there's like a tree house they always wanted as a kid like just the wildest stuff and there's like a hallway with people with faces saying you're beautiful and stuff like giving them compliments and i i felt like if i feel like you could do something like that like even but like better because like his is kind of very self-indulgent obviously yeah right yeah uh we have been talking about an art installation uh somebody i know did a voice of god art installation where you could just talk to this like mirror essentially <laughs> and it would answer back using ai so we we're thinking about playing with that in the magic mirror aspect uh there's so many cool potentials for art installations so one mm -hmm. of the other things that we want to do eventually is uh look at public grants or public art installations would be really cool if you can ship them out to Midwest, there's so many opportunities. There, there's so many towns all, that I hear wanting people to come in and put murals in. They're willing to pay them as well. So even Ooh. if yours was just like lodging and a, a bus ticket or a train ticket, I think there's a lot of opportunity out here for beautifying places and ha leaving their mark as an idea. Yeah, definitely a good idea. Uh, I'll give another shout out to uh, Dogtown as the consultancy for anybody who's interested in startups and startup or, uh, nonprofits, nonprofit fundraising. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend they've gotten us connected with some grant opportunities already. And they can even help with grant writing as well. So yeah, give them a little plug. <laughs> oh, so you meant grants for yourself, like to do more work in-house or grants to people to do things? Like you give grants to grants artists? to nonprofits so we would probably pass those grants along yeah okay We'd work with artists but we can handle a lot of the infrastructure work around getting the grants writing them working with the either towns public or private institutions that are funding those grants yeah oh, that makes sense and then um do you see that so you're you like to do a lot of different things so is this do you see this potentially being something that fills up to being something that could be your full-time in the sense of not building another startup. Like this would be like, maybe you're like your, your forever career or whatever, or like the next 20 years of your life is just building this and working with artists, working, improving people's lives, mental health. There's, if you look at the market for arts foundations, there's basically two kinds of successful ones. There is, something like the Burning Man Foundation that has, I don't know exactly how many employees working for modest salaries to throw this big community event every year. Uh, so not huge, huge as a organization, but still impactful and big. And that's sort of the upper bound there to my knowledge. And then there's a lot of essentially kind of like family offices, family funds that are use private wealth, distribute that to the arts where they see appropriate. I could potentially see this being, this isn't, this definitely isn't going to be my last endeavor. Yeah. I do think that there's still a lot of potential and opportunity in me doing for-profit startups so that we can take that very good cause because the thing that I've been doing in my startups, like the data rights, the reason I'm interested in that is because that data is valuable 
and getting it into our hands gives us bargaining power over our data, which in turn gives people like creatives, hopefully more financial opportunity to pursue the things they want to do. So even when I'm doing for-profit versus not-for-profit, it's still to the same ends. I do think that there's a lot of potential left in the more commercial space. So I'm not totally mm -hmm. given up on that yet. Yeah. But what do you think about these, let's like Reddit, Twitter API stuff that's been going on, where on one hand, people have been using all the content on there to develop their LLMs, but on the, uh, but then they're also changing them now where the average user can't make third-party apps or whatnot. I think that's what's happened on Reddit. There was like a strike or something where all like the different little subgroups were like, no, we're not going to be here to show them that we're angry. That one is a little tough. Um, I'm not personally impacted because I don't use third-party apps. I kind of use Reddit uh, official application. So I'm not directly impacted, but I know a lot of people prefer it. It, it kind of seems a little, honestly, superficial to me that hmm. people like the different user interface for the same content. And it is a community operated website. I also want Reddit to be around for longer. I like it and they need to at least be like break even at some point. <laughs> so I see the need for them to adjust their pricing seems like they've gone too far into you know keeping a balance with the community so i hope that they can find that balance but it is kind of interesting to see the subreddits sort of sort of form of a union amongst themselves mm -hmm. a collective bargain yeah uh, and then it similarly like the reddit organization trying to shut them down and threatening to replace the admins that's mm -hmm. a lot looks a lot like union busting to be totally honest yeah, it's interesting what if there's a reddit admins union <laughs> would that be pretty interesting the well the the interesting aspect of it is like they're going up to an ipo or something that i was reading so them hurting their numbers with the users and stuff like that it's going to hurt their numbers for the ipo and then they can't it'd be interesting if this move put them in a position that ultimately makes them fail because <laughs> then they don't have the numbers that would get them a sufficient IPO to build it to a profitable business. Like you have such a long, such a bread has been around for a while. It would just be really interesting at this, like this change to make something more profitable ultimately is what dooms them. Yeah. I hate the phrase in it's not business. It's just, or it's not personal. It's just business. Mm -hmm. That's such nonsense. Like everything's personal. We are people. We are persons. Like it's, it's inherently the fact that we're doing it personal. And so to, for them as an organization to not show vulnerability, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there, but if they were just honest and be like, hey guys, we really, if we're going to be successful as an organization and keep this online, we're going to have to do something about our revenue numbers and to be a little bit more collaborative and asking for help in that process, I think would have gone a lot farther than threatening, <laughs> which is what they seem to be doing. So, yeah. you know, the last, the last like years with honey than vinegar. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it's, it's, a, it's a tough muscle to do, to be open and ask people for help. It does seem to me from an outsider's point of view, when I look at Reddit, Apple, Tesla, all these different tech, Facebook, et cetera, that are doing all these firings. Netflix, uh, Netflix in particular, like their, their price model change and their excuse for it, I think it's full of shit. They just wanted to change their price model. But I think a, a lot of them 
I feel like the recession looms and all these other things that have been going on are just excuses to, to to trim down the business and stop paying tech people as much. And the AI stuff is coming in at the same time to exacerbate that problem where they the, the, the argument is like, well, now I don't have to pay you as much. I could get ChatGPT and like a developer, junior developer, like one senior person ask questions every now and again. Um, I have learned a lot more with ChatGPT and related technology because I struggle to ask people for help when it's like a technical thing. I go on forums and then I ask there and then if I'm ignored, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to spend the next like two days trying to figure it out on my own. And then ChatGPT is like, How, where I, sh I give them the code, it's like, where am I wrong? And if it, even if it's wrong, it's like it, like the cycle of like editing makes things easier. I, I, I think that there's an element of a lot of the, the excuses that people are making to the APIs, to Tesla's uh uh, cut down credit twitters make sense like they needed to cut money because like you know it was overvalued or whatever but um i think a, like netflix in particular i think they're just making up reasons to improve like to change the cost and then fire people and then pay people on their staff less and all these things are just like it's like when uh, amazon says their black lives matter they don't they don't actually care they just want that as the banner so that people don't hit them as much while they do the things that they don't like like making people piss in a, in a water bottle while they're working I think it's like all a lie. It's like a facade. So they could just cut down uh, business costs and then put more in their pocket. Yep. There's, uh, <laughs> there's everything for the sake of shareholder value, you know. Mm -hmm. That's, I don't, I mean, I, I, it's, it's a combination of things. Um, the people that just move money around. I've got a little bit of cognitive dissonance around this now that I work for hedge fund, but people that just move money around, I don't think are adding very much to society, to be honest. Uh, if they're moving it to places that need it, like uh, low income loans, like micro loans, or potentially uh, even venture capital, I think can be a good thing. But people who are just buying and selling public stocks, arbitrage, that kind of stuff isn't, I don't see that as being very helpful to society. Uh, if you are a company that makes something that people find valuable, like Netflix, to be totally honest, then it seems to be more emotional. It's like they grow and hire aggressively during boom periods with low interest rates. And then they react violently when the flip happens, when interest rates go up and the excess capital in the market constricts then you get these wild swings in jobs that impact people's lives. So it's kind of the same mentality of like consumerism in a lot of sense. Like you have a lot of extra money, buy a lot of luxuries as opposed to just kind of like being a little bit more humble as an individual and as an organization and just saying like, sure, we could try to grow and capture this huge market as soon as possible, or we could try to do it a little bit slower and a little bit more sustainably. And we wouldn't have these big swings in the market like that but it's emotional people see the opportunity they get excited about it they chase it and then the floor falls off from under them and they feel the pain mm -hmm. yeah i wonder the next i don't know I, i'm very curious to see what the next 12 16 months hold for people especially with you have the you have this new ai automation type technology coming out which i guess would you would you consider artificial intelligence or do you think that I, i've talked to a lot of startups that say ai on the masthead and i'll ask them is this ai or is this machine learning or just stats or whatever and they answer roundabout, but they basically say, this is just machine learning and stats. Like I just put AI on it so I can get funding. <laughs> so do you think we're at a stage where we're getting any semblance of actual artificial intelligence? It feels to me, it's kind of like the Chinese, uh, Chinese, Chinese box or the Chinese paradox when it comes to philosophy, like 
the inputs and outputs are being matched by a little tome on the inside, but the tome doesn't know what the characters actually mean. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you can see that when you ask it, uh, ask ChatGPT what its favorite number is between 100 and 100,000, and it'll just give you a number like 129,000. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't understand math at all in particular. Um, it is a tool. It's what's going to be interesting though. Like the, I do still think there's a possibility of like a singularity. I don't think that means it's not intelligent. I think that it, I think as soon as we had like the abacus, that was a form of artificial intelligence, to be totally honest. I think we don't have like sentience yet, but even that people are, one of the interesting things is these problems that it can't solve. People are starting to train it to be able to know when to use tools. Like if you want a number between 100 and 100,000, that's an opportunity to write code that it can execute that can actually do that logical part as well. Mm. So it might be turning into like a left brain, right brain kind of thing. But if, so if it can like improve itself somehow, figure out a way to improve itself, that's when it's going to get really interesting. And that seems to be looming, but I don't know. It, it's a little semantic, I think artificial intelligence versus an if statement <laughs> if you throw enough if statements in there i think siri would be a lot better for example <laughs> do you have a siri in your room i do i don't trust alexa <laughs> yeah okay i was gonna say if there's like an alexa nearby or something you've been t we've been talking so much smack about amazon you're not getting deliveries for a month on time <laughs> right, yeah. you, you order anything it's not it's not coming but um on that front yeah. but yeah, they hold your data. I don't trust Amazon with my data at this point. Like the Amazon Go store where they read your palm compared to uh, Apple's Face ID where it stays on device. I think there's a big security implication for both of those. And Apple's been doing a good job. Originally, I think it was just marketing. that They're like, oh, we're more secure. But now I think they're actually turning that into real tangible benefits for consumers. Well, Apple is one of the few companies that actually told the U.S. government to go F itself when it asked yeah, for backdoor exactly, access. right? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it's like the biggest company on the planet, and it does seem to not just be doing lip service, but actually moving towards a privacy focus. I mean, Apple Maps is terrible for the, for pri because of privacy. Like, you know, uh, they don't track everything. When I think that's why it, it's not so good. So the, they're, they're, arguably, <laughs> yeah, they're arguably hurting themselves to have these types of functions. So like they're putting their mouth, their money where their mouth is, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yep. Is there anyone else doing good out there that you like? I mean, OpenAI, for instance, I think they were, they went from a nonprofit to for-profit while still being a nonprofit. I listened to Elon Musk explain it. I, I don't know to the extent I should believe what he says. So I don't know how, if it's as a Machiavellian as he described, but. In terms of uh, if it's going to be good for the world or bad for the world? No, in terms of uh, how it's designed to be open source, and then it was like some stuff happened with Microsoft, and now it's not really uh, open sourced, and it's actually like more of a for-profit organization with the name OpenAI. It's like a misnomer or an oxymoron. It doesn't right. actually, it, it actually hasn't held to its original statements. What are you saying? But then he also made his own AI startup, or like he's working on his own AI thing at Twitter. So, you know, how, how much is that just like marketing to get, like get people to start going in his direction again? I don't know. So that's why I ask you. You you know more than me. What's the yeah, right? What's, I mean, what's really that's going the, on? That's the shareholder value thing again. I mean, if Sam Altman owns 
I don't know, however much percentage of the company. And all of a sudden somebody starts waving multiple billions of dollars in his face. Like, I mean, I, I, that's tempting. I think that's human. That's natural. Uh, but more protections for the people involved and people that are going to be impacted by those decisions is what we got to focus on. Cause I don't, I don't think we're going to be able to solve greed period. <laughs> but I think we yeah. structure things a little bit differently. How, how do you see the world working when let's say, let's say that us goes with everything that you think is appropriate in terms of regulation of AI and, you know, let's throw like delicious unions in there for fun. Uh, how, what will happen to the rest of the world? If there's like, it's kind of like how I think of slavery when it comes to like Nestle and all these uh, like cocoa and coffee where in America, it's like you can't enslave people, but in a third world countries, like it's fine to enslave people. And as long as, you know, you don't mention it too many times, like cobalt and whatnot, you can use those supply chains. Uh, <laughs> so like, how do you see AI built with the high standard versus, because there's nothing really, uni- like the knowledge can be used anywhere else. Like you can build servers in other countries, start building your own version of this AI and then not have those restrictions. So like, then how do you see, how do you see that dichotomy playing out over the next like 10 years? Like what, what's gonna happen when that exists? Cause right now that that theme results in like human slavery still existing. So then what will be the equivalent of human slavery with AI differences of regulation? I mean, that's setting global standards. I know the, the anti-globalists will hate me for this, but like, I think it's okay to sometimes try to come to an agreement as uh, species around the world about what things are not okay. Mm. <laughs> you know, that doesn't feel that controversial of a statement, but then when you get all the world leaders in a room and people kind of freak out <laughs> to an extent, I understand like uh, when you have that centralization of power, there's risk of authoritarian uh, regimes, honestly. America actually has a really remarkably decentralized power structure. Yeah. Uh, the more I travel, the more I realize like most legislative bodies and like most prime ministers are just like the top person at the biggest uh, party in their Congress. So it's like the prime minister of a lot of companies is just the representative of Congress. And that is like their one body, even on a federal level. That's not to mention like the state's rights and the city and the counties and the districts and all that stuff. Um we should just agree, yeah, more more international agreements, I think, is a mm. good thing. More international communication. You can't stop globalization. I hate to say it, but like the internet making the world smaller and smaller. We've got to start negotiating with people around the world on what yeah. things are okay. <laughs> There's a policy under a policymaker, a guy who just looks at the world and does geopolitics. His name is Peter Zion, I think. And he says he he's he's proposing that the globalization is actually going to start retreating because the U.S. is going to start pulling out of handling trade and a bunch of all the all these other things. And because of that, instead of having like a liberal democracy saying like, hey, as long as you can trade, you can be a part of the system. Because the, the previous system was the English, which is basically their top dog and you have to only sell to them where ours is we allow you to sell with anyone we just get preferential rates so like it's it's a little bit more democratized in that way it's like how i'll say like there's other there's other heinous things there of course but compared to how the english did stuff in like the congo or whatever it's 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 more humane um but he's proposing that there's actually a retreat and then with the weird population trends that are going on in like china and russia and all these other different places like um, america apparently is like the only like healthy distribution of people to weather the weird um anti-globalization that's going to be happening 
But you've been around the world and you have a different view. I just read things, Zane. I don't know things. So, <laughs> <laughs> do you, when you when you when you travel the world, do you feel a retreat, or does it feel like people are connecting more? There, we. It feels like people are trusting the U.S. less, and yeah. we got to figure our own shit out. Um, think globally, act locally is something that works. We. I'll, I'll stand here and say my strongest political opinion by far is uh, reforming ballots on elections. If we just switched from first past the post to ranked choice voting, I'm a big fan. Like we, we, we've talked about this before. That that is the single biggest impact we could have on our federal, state, local politics. If we got, we, it could break us out of the two party system. So if you vote for a third party your vote doesn't get thrown away. You mm-hmm. get a backup vote that can go to somebody else. It's that easy. So many other democracies around the world have it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> we need that. If we can get our own stuff settled out, that's kind of what I'm more worried about at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then we can start to think globally again, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was recently talking to someone and they were like, well, will you ever talk about more about politics on the show? It's like, I don't know. The things that I care about are like really boring. Like I would want to talk about <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about like redistricting and uh, and uh, like voter reform. Like I, like if I had a political party, it'd just be like the foundationists. Like all I do is just go around like like restructure things so that it's the most democrat. Even if like you don't agree with what I'm saying, I'd want it to be because like gerrymandering is the biggest thing. I, I was reading an up in Wisconsin that during the last census in 2010, some. I think like the Republican Party, one of the parties got in power and they redistricted it so badly that they've stayed in power and like 70% of the vote could vote one way and they would still end up with more than 50% of the vote. So they never have to do anything. You, you contrast that with what's going up in um, Minnesota, which has been very progressive, like like kids being able to eat for free if they don't have the money for it. Wild ideas. Like if, if a kid is malnourished, <laughs> they lose 20 IQ points for the rest of their lives. If you, mm. if a kids are malnourished at any point when they're developing or like a period of points when they're developing, they lose 20 IQ points. So feeding the kids is like the next generation is pretty, pretty bad. But uh, I think yeah, the things that I care about are politics is like, oh, are you for this person? This person's like, are they for ranked tra- choice voting? Or like the, the things I care about are like very boring things. <laughs> so I feel like it wouldn't be it would, like, you know, like there's people talk about politics. And it's like the exciting things like, are we going to invade Russia? And it's like, what is our what is our tax system? And is, is it fair to people? <laughs> which is really boring stuff i guess for most people but it sounds like uh, it's up your alley as well like the stuff yeah. that interests you and the good news about ballot reform in particular is uh the states have a lot of mm-hmm. my understanding is the states have a lot of uh flexibility in how they count their votes mm-hmm. and so it's basically on like a local level how the state wants to uh sign its um brains blanking the people who like every state has a certain number that goes towards the super Superdelegates? Electoral college? Uh, electoral college. That's it. Yeah. Where you, what you do with your electoral delegate votes. And so you could just have one or two states. I think a couple of states actually have already implemented ranked choice voting. Yeah. Well, I thought but, New York had. I was watching Andrew Yang run in New York. And I think there was ranked choice and he still lost, but it was nice that it was there. Is that not the case? <laughs> I don't live there, so I don't know. I uh, haven't been here long enough to vote in one of the elections. I have been here long enough, but I, I voted in California. I didn't switch over my voting in time. <laughs> yeah. So that's why California is starting to lean Republican. You're, you're one vote. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. So I only live in places where my vote doesn't matter. I grew up in yeah. Texas, moved to California and then New York. <laughs> it's like swing mm-hmm. states. <laughs> well, California at one point in time was just like entirely red and now it's like mostly blue. 
so things can you know change over time or wisconsin used to be very progressive and now it's very red so i think over time things can can change but the so we talked about your acquisition the painful process Ooh. in that uh and gave enough money to get a statue you got it up the hill and it, <laughs> yeah. I, I i do think it's kind of weird that you got a statue that is similarly named to the place you work at but the thing is does your worry ignore you you know because it ignores your pursuit you know like does is my worry ignore me your work you know because the 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 lady ignores the man in the in the statue and if your work <laughs> is the lady then it's ignoring you and doesn't reciprocate your uh interests no i can't say i relate to it in that sense yeah uh maybe there's like again it's, it's on a human level but i feel requited love at my job which is nice that's good <laughs> uh, back and forth and then we have your from Zanapalooza to the new nonprofit that you're very excited about president still work on <laughs> you never take a vacation longer than uh you know a couple weeks <laughs> before you start working on something we talked about the writer strikes what's going on there how ChatGPT and other things are going to influence things you like the idea of regulation setting a fair standard what do you think about the open ai guy sam altman asking for regulation now when he has the lead in the market doesn't that feel like amazon when they uh like sue people to keep their market share is that fair or are they just on the mind tap to see it it honestly that felt like a publicity move to me uh-huh. it's like it, talking to congress i don't know it, it, it that one came off to me a little bit more like lip service like sure they want regulation but they don't want like their own business band they want the regulations to be friendly for them i think that he's also been watching what's been happening in crypto and seeing how the lack of clear regulation there has really crushed the crypto industry in america in particular so you can get out ahead of that and not let it be defined by laws set in like the 80s around computer hacking <laughs> it's like which is what still governs a lot of like web scraping and data rights laws today hmm. uh that would be a good thing for him and you can get some press about it in the meantime yeah so how do you feel about the blo- uh, blockchain at one point in time you were i was a little bit more in your resume i'd say i don't see it yeah, too much now i was big into it and some I, it's it's I'm still doing work with uh, Delphia has helped start a DAO, a distributed autonomous organization called Superset, which is really cool because they've actually given this DAO uh, kill switch powers over Delphia's right to its users' data. If Delphia ever goes evil, the DAO can vote to cut off Delphia's access to it which is crazy. That's something that I've never seen any company do, give any, mm. another party the ability to like shut down their one of the most valuable assets. Uh, so it's really speaking to their belief in the mission here. It is really still about helping consumers. And again, very much aligned with all the stuff that I do in my work mm-hmm. and my personal about giving people the power mm-hmm. to do the things they want to do in particular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm still doing crypto stuff and DAO stuff, but like you just can't touch anything financial like crypto and tokens in America at the moment, everything is considered a security. And unless you've got the many, many, many accountants on file, it takes to register those securities in the many months and then uh, to make it publicly accessible security. It's what is it? The um, the O form filing. I think it is when you want to go public as a security, it's something like that, that uh, most of them do before they go IPO. Hmm that or is it s i think it might be s um you'll have to do yeah, it one day we can talk about it 
I would like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds good. <laughs> Let's yeah. go back round yeah, two one, or four. Yeah. yeah. One of us will do it. And then we can, we'll sit down and talk about what we learned and then share it with the other one. But, uh, are, have you read anything interesting in the last, since last we spoke that you'd recommend to people? Are you reading again? Do you have time? Yeah. So the book that I've got here, I alternate back and forth. I try between, mm -hmm. um, fiction and nonfiction. Yeah. Right now, uh, since we're living in New York, I'm curious about the history. There's this book, St. Mark's is Dead. St. Mark's mm -hmm. is uh, 8th Street on the Manhattan grid. And it starts with the inception of New York and the introduction of the grid and before there was a grid. And the core thesis is that for generation upon generation upon generation, this new wave of people has come and they proclaim that like the old version of the city is dead it's like the, all the great times we were having were over is over uh one of the most recent examples is there's now a starbucks on saint mark's which previously was home to all the punks and the rebels and now mm. like, oh, saint mark's is dead and so it's a cool history of new york kind of read there's a book on i think it's clams i'll have to double check this but i think it's literally the book of clams and it talks about clams but in, around new york uh, the Native Americans would eat so many clams, there would be mounds of it. And there's actually a lot of mounds around New York still just like full of clams. Just like they were like, you know, meters tall. And in there, they would have like all these different artifacts in there. And that's how they can learn about Native Americans even after so much time where, you know, don't have any like written records and stuff like that. I, rec I recommend that one. I think it's Ooh. called Clam. Yeah, it's really good. It's one of those like cod, like one of those books that's just on like one element or like salt, which is on like one thing and like the history of it and stuff like at one point in time people would rub salt on people's genitals to help them uh make babies they thought that that was like a, a good thing to do uh so it's fun to the clam one is about like it, they talk about new york well new amsterdam and stuff like that mm. yeah but that's cool. that, yeah that's the one i'd recommend to you but it sounds like that was the non-fiction one what's your fiction one then uh the more recent fiction one that i started was snow crash Ah, I have that one. It, yeah. I have not read it. <laughs> it's dense. It has, it, it's the metaverse is what it is. But like written yeah. in the eighties, I think. Mm. Um, it's fun. It's fun. It's a little weird. Honestly, I, I, I lost a little momentum reading that one, to be totally honest. But if you're into metaverse stuff and it's very sci-fi. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. I started and I couldn't finish it. I, I lost steam as well. Like in the first like hundred pages, I was like ah uh, okay. And then so some people like it. it's like Sevenson. I don't know if you, one of his other books is really weird. Stevenson or like the seven. It's like the idea is like there's like seven women that repopulate the the world of of humans. It's like there's like two books in one book. It's really weird. It's wild. But where can people go to learn more about Palooza and what you're what you're working on? Yeah, we've got the Palooza Foundation dot org. So highly recommend going there, setting up for our text list so that you can stay in the know about Wine Wednesdays that are coming up, as well as July 14th in New York City. We've got the Once Upon a Palooza event, fairy tale themed immersive experience you can find on dice.com, the ticketing platform. So come check it out. It's going to be a really good time. Sweet. It'll be in the show notes. So I want to thank you, Zane, for coming on the show today and hope everyone enjoyed it. And you, person out there, I'm going to assume your name is Sam. Subscribe, tell me what you think, and tell us if you're going to go to Zane's thing. Awesome. Thanks, Lowell.